Good morning. This morning we are continuing, actually concluding our series on who we are. This has kind of been the, the DNA of us as a community here at Genesis. Looking at the DNA of who we are at, at Genesis and what it is that makes us who we are, we, we talked the first week about how we think and we wanted to make clear that our thought process and our life with God is an ongoing thing. This isn't something that just happens on Sunday, that we are trying to live a life that is connected to God continually, even as Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 3 about being mindful of spiritual things in 1 Corinthians 15 about the eternal things, having a connection to those things that are connected to God and it being a regular practice. You know, it's unfortunate that many people who have professed faith in Christ come to church on Sunday and that's the last time they think about God. The rest of the week, life goes on and God is not a part of their thought process. He's not someone who has the ability to inject his will into our lives. It's just the religious activity that we do, maybe Sunday or Sunday and a Thursday or whatever it might be, but it's not something that is dynamic, something that is active. Bless you, Mary. I know that was your sneeze, even though I didn't see you. <laughs> then we talked about what we believe, and what we believe wasn't so much of a doctrinal thing, but what we believe at Genesis is that everyone here is made to be an ambassador of Christ, that we all have this ministry of reconciliation, that the body of Christ is in need of everyone to be a participant, that there is no hierarchy in this body of Christ, that just because someone is taking the occupation or a position of a pastor, they are not better than or more responsible than anyone else in the things that God calls them to. They have certain responsibilities for sure. They're required and held accountable for those responsibilities. But we all are supposed to be active in this thing. So this is something that we all participate in. And so we see that we are trying to live lives that are always mindful of the things of God and that are involved in the things of God. This isn't something that we leave for a few people. Oh yeah, that's what they do. But we see that we are all made into this position of uh, leadership as far as now we are all to make disciples of men. That commandment, that great commission wasn't just to a few. It was all who have faith in Christ are to make these things a process in their life and to allow those things to be a part of their life. Last week we saw how we do these things and we looked at Acts chapter 17 and how Paul identified with those in Athens. Jesus' words that we are to be shrewd, wise as serpents, but harmless as doves, that we are to be engaging our culture, not compromising our beliefs, but be able to communicate the truths of who Christ is in a way that people can understand, in a way that will be effective. And what we want to do today is look at what we can expect if we do those things, if we are a part of these things, what can we expect as followers of Christ? We ended last week, and you can turn 
to the book of Acts chapter 15, actually, but I'm going to quote something that we ended on last week. It said, A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Last week when we concluded, we talked about these two individuals who came to faith in Christ because of Paul's teaching. And we talked about how Damaris, his name basically meant, or um, Dionysius, yeah, there's like a big difference, Dionysius and Damaris, you know, Dionysius, his name basically was named after the god of drunkenness. And Damaris was named after a god of fertility. And we talked about the dynamic that this is now introducing into this church culture that is just getting started, really, and how, how you're now reaching out to these people who did not have any idea of the God of Israel, who did not know the stories that they grew up hearing about Samson or David and Goliath or Jonah, didn't have any awareness of these things. They were brought up with the god of drunkenness and the goddess of fertility and their whole upbringing was totally unique and different to what the Jewish people were accustomed to. And you see, when you start bringing these people into this culture that has been established and has a history, it causes friction. It causes tension. And so one of the things that we can expect is this kind of tension as we reach people who are not familiar with who Jesus is or the things of Christianity, people who are outside of the church culture. When you start reaching out to those people, they're going to bring a different dynamic. And we see that there were some interesting things that happened even as that took place in the book of Acts. If you go to Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and touch a little bit on what happened. Paul and Peter and some of the others have now been reaching those who are outside the Jewish community, outside of the nation of Israel, the Gentiles. And as they're reaching to these Gentiles, they're coming back to Jerusalem to say, hey, you guys, something is happening. Something big is happening. God is reaching the Gentile people, not just those who are of Jewish descent, of children of Jacob. He is reaching those who are outside. What are we going to do about it? In verse 1, it says, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Notice verse 5. Then some of the believers 
who belonged to a party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Now, I don't want to go into a whole detail on this passage, but this is a pivotal, a pivotal, a pivotal point. I had to stop. Too many syllables there. This is a pivotal point in the church's history because this is a point where Christianity had the, what would you say, there was the danger of falling into another sect of Judaism. This is where Christianity had the possibility of yielding to the traditions of the past and allowing them to dictate the doctrines of the future and what Christ was doing. And so this is a monumental event that is taking place where these believers are saying these Gentiles need to now be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Now you can imagine what this would do to the spread of the gospel of Christianity to the Gentile world. Oh, you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Okay, you need to be circumcised. That's going to go over very well. Now, just imagine that if, don't imagine it too long, but (laughs) you can see that this is a burden that they're putting on the people that is going to cause them to say, what? Oh, yeah, we want you to now obey the laws of Moses. What are the laws of Moses? What are you talking about? And so this discussion, this council in Jerusalem takes place to find out what are we going to do about these Gentiles? And they came to a conclusion, and in verse 19, it says, it is my judgment, and this is James, who is the the pastor there in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And he goes on and he gives a few things. He says that they are to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled. But otherwise, we're not going to put any obligation on them. And I love this verse. We're not going to make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is something that we should have in our minds. We are not going to make it difficult for people to come to Christ. We are not going to make them jump through hoops. We are not going to make them conform to our religious traditions. We are going to uphold what the Scriptures tell them to be, but we are going to allow God to do a work in them. We are not going to make them get cleaned up before they come to faith. I've always heard that analogy. You know, you don't clean a fish before you catch it. That's impossible. You have to catch the first catch the fish first, and then you can clean it. We're not going to make things difficult for them to come to faith. We are going to make Christ accessible to them right where they're at. Now, when you do something like this, it causes difficulty because there are people who hold on to their traditions. And one of the things we can expect is people to resist change. You know, everyone wants to see God do something new, 
but people are very hesitant to change, which causes a problem. Because we want to see God do a mighty work and a new work, but we don't want to change our ways. We want to keep things as we're comfortable with. And that's what was taking place in Acts. As these Gentiles are coming in, it's like, well, we want them to conform to us. We don't want to have to deal with them in their ways. They need to change and be more like what we are used to. And when you start saying, you know what, what we need to do is not make things difficult for them. What we need to do is kind of step out into their arena. People start getting a little uneasy because their resistance to change. Why can't we just do things the way we've been doing them? Well, because there are people who are out there who are not hearing the gospel, who are not receiving the gospel. And we talked about that last week. There are people who are not used to the way we talk, not used to the things that we do, and they are now being neglected. They are being isolated from the message of who Jesus is because we are developing our own culture. And our culture is not prone to minister to them. It's not open to them. It's not something that they can identify with. But we want to hold on to that rather than reach these people. And so now we make it difficult for them to come to a place of faith. And so as we move forward to try and reach people, we can expect resistance. We can expect people to say, we don't do things that way. We're not used to that kind of thing. And whatever those things might be, I remember years ago when I started doing a young adult study, we had a different atmosphere and we set up some tables and kind of made it like a little Starbucks, you know, and we had some candles. It just happened that way. Um, we, it was just a different vibe. And I remember people coming up to me and saying, you need to have less candles. I was like, why? How many are too many candles? Well, you know, it's just, you know... They just didn't like how it looked. Well, it's, you know, we're worried about it being considered, you know, an emergent church, or we're considered worried about this. And it's like, they're just candles. We're not bowing and sacrificing, or, you know, they're not altars, they're candles. And I remember at, as this began to develop, this ministry, I had a lot of people coming who were not followers of Christ who were friends. And they came and we had good coffee and they could sit down with their coffee at the table and we would have this dialogue and my, my studies weren't um, inductive Bible studies as maybe other people in the church had been used to, but it was very topical and I was trying to find topics that were relevant to the people who we were talking to. And we had a large number of people who weren't followers of Christ who started coming on a regular basis. And some became followers of Christ through this. We started meeting at a pizza parlor. It's not there anymore. It had kind of like a stage. Bands used to play there. And on Sunday nights, we would take the band and go there. And I would kind of talk while people were at the bar drinking and stuff. And it was just a different dynamic. But some people didn't like that because it was a little different. We're not used to doing that. You see, we had our way of doing it. And the thing is, there are a lot of people who you can get to be involved with the things that they're used to doing. There are a lot of people who will go to your, quote, church if you do things the way that they like you to do them. 
And so you can get a larger number of people if you just do things and conform to what they're used to doing, what they're comfortable with. The minute you start doing things a little bit different, people start going, I don't know. You got seven candles. If you had five, I might be able to go, but, you know, seven is the number of, well, talk to Michael about that. And so we can expect people to be resistant to change. That's just the way it is. And now we have a choice. If, if we want to grow big and we want a lot of people here and we want them to, you know, have our own little culture, well, then we need to do things this way. But if we want to be effective, if we want to be a part of the conversation with those who don't know Christ, then we are going to do some things that these people might not be comfortable with. And so what we're going to do is lose some people who say, well, I just want to go where I can get fed. You guys, I don't know if you were here when I went through that series on being disciples and making disciples, and I talked about being fed, how you guys are all old enough, you can feed yourself now, that it's not my job to feed you. Yes, I want to help us understand the scriptures. I want us to grow together, but the point isn't to be fed. The point is to grow in the things that God has us to do. And you are responsible for your relationship with God, not me. I'm responsible for mine. And so we are growing in this way, but there are people who are going to say, well, I want to go where I, quote, get fed. I want to go where they talk about, you know, these things. I want to go where they're going to be talking about the things I'm used to talking about, you know, the end times, the rapture of the church, Um, those kinds of things. I I, I want... didn't mean to laugh. Yes, I did. Um, I want to talk about these things that are part of the Christian hot buttons. And you guys don't talk about those things. You know, we do go through the scriptures on Thursday nights. We go through the Bible. Uh, Michael's going through the book of Judges. It's been great. encourage you guys to go to, to that and, and continue learning the scriptures. But then we're also going to do other things that hopefully are going to be able to touch the hearts of a lot of people who maybe don't know what Christ is about. And we want to reach those people as well. And so we need to be aware that there are people who are going to be resistant to change. Now, now we are all resistant to change to a certain degree. Some people more than others. You know, it's like the fashions. You know, some people are resistant to those things more than others. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. I know you all have pictures of mullets in your mind when I say fashions. Some people are like, no, they're still cool. Business in front, party in the back. You know, I'm... Isaiah chapter 43, we have an, an, an instance where the nation of Israel is now enslaved to the Babylonians. They're in this dark place and Verse 16 is where I'm going to focus on, but I want to kind of ramp up to that in verse 14. It says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who has made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, 
who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. You know, sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that paralyze us. Things that are difficult to go through. An event that happens that's just hurtful. And it's hard to get past it. Maybe someone has hurt you, wronged you in a way, and forgiveness is just a difficult thing. And you try and get there, and it's just a labor to try and let go of those things that have hurt you. But there are also times that we're very good things that happened that were just great and just powerful and, and meaningful in your life. And those things, you look back and it's like, that's what I wish I was again, those, those glory days, back when I, you know, was my proper weight, um, back when, you know, I, I was healthier, back when things were going well, when the money was good, when that, and we start doing the same thing. We get locked in that time and we think that things will never be as good as back then. And we still get trapped in that place where we are stuck in this memory, this thought that doesn't move us forward. As Isaiah is writing here, in verse 16, when he says, this is what the Lord said, who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they, there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed like a wick. You know, that sounds beautiful. Wow, that's really cool. But what does it mean? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about when God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt. Now, here's the, the thing. Throughout the scriptures, we always see God saying, remember, 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 remember when I delivered you from Egypt. Remember how I did these things. Set up a monument. Remember, remember all the things that God has done to deliver you from the hand of Pharaoh, from the people in oppression that you were once slaves in. Remember. And now he says in verse 17 or verse 18, forget the former things. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to remember or forget? What's he trying to say here? What he's telling the nation of Israel is, what I did, it's okay to remember and build on the past, but don't get trapped in it. Don't get stuck in the past. You can build on it, but I want you to live in the future or in the present and I want you to look forward to the future that I have for you. Don't think that I am done 
well, God delivered us from Egypt that time, but man, that'll never happen again. Or it was as good as it's going to get and it's over. He's saying, forget what I have done and now look it. I'm doing something new. Do you perceive it? Do you see what I'm doing it? Are you stuck in what I did and that is blinding you from what I am doing? And many times what happens to us is we get stuck in looking at how God did things and he's doing something new and he says, do you perceive it? Do you perceive what I'm doing right now? And I am using you, Israel, as a pen to write my story. And I've written things in the past, but I'm writing things now, and I'm going to use you to write my story in the future. Do you see yourself as a part of the story, or is that just something that happened to your forefathers, your ancestors, those who were before you? And so, are we going to be locked in to what God has done in the past and say that's how God does things? Or are we going to see God is doing something new? Are we going to be aware of it? Are we going to be able to perceive that he is doing something new? Can we perceive it? And he talks about the ways in the desert, the streams and the wasteland. And so another thing that we can expect is we can expect the unfamiliar. God is going to do a new thing as things develop. What new things? I don't know. They're unfamiliar. We don't know what they're all going to look like. You see, when Paul went into Athens, it was something totally different. He was not used to this environment Chapter 14 of Acts, he and Barnabas went in and they wanted to make them gods. They had to say, no, we're just men. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Peter went down to Cornelius' house. He wasn't supposed to. And he had this vision. He says, God, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, Peter, don't call uncommon what I have cleansed. God was doing something new. He was reaching people that they hadn't reached before and it was different than they'd ever experienced before. And it was unfamiliar, uncharted territory for them. And so what did they have to do? They had to walk forward in it dependent on God. That conversation that they were having with God. God, what are you doing? Let God minister how to talk to these people. Recognize that, God, you are going to use me to talk to these people and then be open to how you want me to talk to these people. But God, you want to talk to these people. And sometimes we have to get past the stereotypes in our mind of these people, whatever these people might be. And these people in our society, who are they? They might be people of a different political persuasion than you are. It's amazing how politics can divide people. And you've got people who think there's no way you can be a Democrat and be a Christian. There's people who believe there's no way you can be a Republican and be saved. 
And so now you've got divisions because of political persuasions. Are we going to allow politics to stop us? Can we not make it difficult for people to come to faith? You have to change your political persuasion before you come to our church. Why? Because we have a voting thing in the back. We'll tell you how we think you should vote. We'll have signs that protest whatever we're against. And we make it difficult for people to come. Well, wait a second, wait a second. I'm used to this. Yeah, I know. We're resistant to change. That maybe God wants us to put down the banners, put down these things, so that we can reach people that we're not reaching. Because he cares more about the people than the politics. I have a friend of mine. If you were to look at this guy, you'd cross the street if he was coming your way. The guy's pretty hard looking. He's tatted up pretty good. And he's not the most um, tactful person in his talking to you. He cusses quite a bit and, you know, he kind of talks, I don't know how to say it. He's just, he's got a lot of slang in his language. And when you talk to this guy, it's like, this guy's a rough dude. And to look at him, you would think, man, this guy, I don't don't really care to hang out with this guy. You see, I've known him over the years and it developed a friendship and a relationship with him. And he's got some serious physical conditions now where he's not able to really get out of his house much anymore. He's younger than me. He's a young man in his 30s. But he doesn't probably have long to live because of how he's lived in the past. And you see, just the week before last, he called me up. He goes, hey, Sam. Hey, man, how's it going? Well, not so good. And he started telling me some of the physical conditions that he's going through and the problems that he has. And then he started just weeping. He just started crying. And you see, if, if you were to look at this guy and just see him, you would say, man, this guy is just one hard case. This guy has lived his life. He's destroyed his body. You know, he's got kids that he's not really as attached to as he'd like to be. He's got a lot, a lot of baggage and a lot of issues. And you would just say, this is a hard case. But you see, I know him. And I know that he is broken. And he calls me and he cries to me. And he asks for prayer. And he says, I believe in Jesus, Sam. I've just messed up my life. And I'm sorry for what I've done. And I get to encourage him in the Lord. And and I want to try and help him in the things that he's dealing with with his kids and with his life as much as I can. But if you looked at him, you'd just say, man, this, this guy is no good. Look at all the things he's done with his life. He's destroyed his life. But you see, God loves him. And one of the things that when we start reaching out to the people, when we have to start changing what we look like, when we have to start embracing the unfamiliar, it's unfamiliar territory. And sometimes you you approach people like this and you don't know what to say. I don't know 
how to relate to you. I, I don't know what it is you need, and I have to depend on God and say, God, just help me. And it forces me to grow. It forces me to think differently. God is doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you perceive that this man has a heart that is broken, or do you just see the exterior, I just see the outside, I just see the rough, I just see the political persuasion, I just see the label, oh, they're gay, I just see these things and that's all I see and I don't see that God is doing a new thing, trying to reach people who are broken, people who have not been reached, people who have been alienated by us, the church. And we just want to go back to where it's comfortable. We'll sing our songs. We'll have our bookstores. We'll wear our own clothes that say Jesus Christ is the real thing instead of Coca-Cola. I know that's an old one, but you get the point. You see, when you start reaching people like Dionysius and Damaris, there's a whole new set of issues when you're talking to someone who's coming from a pagan worship and you bring them into true worship, it can be a bit messy. And we have to be patient because it's unfamiliar. We have to move into this place where we see that God is doing something. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, it says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And this passage of Jeremiah is just a dark passage talking about Israel just not listening to the things of God and God just saying, man, you are stuck. Just like an Ethiopian can't change his skin, a leopard can't change his spots, you cannot change. And don't we know all so well that people don't change? You guys just experience, man, they're the same person. But then we have this conflict because what we believe is that God can change people. And so one of the things that we can also expect is we can expect the miraculous. And when I say the miraculous, you know, uh, where do our minds go? Healings. I want to see people delivered from cancer and, and drugs and, you know, I want to see people's eyes opened who are blind. I want to see those, you know, who are in wheelchairs walk. The miraculous. We, we want the spectacular. We want to see those things. We are just prone to those things. But you know what? I don't know anything more miraculous than expecting people to change because God changes people. When I see my friend who is just hard and broken and I see that he has a heart tender for God, I say there is a miracle. And I expect God to do miracles in the lives of the people that we reach out to. Those who are lost, those who are considered just, they'll never change. That's a leopard whose spots will not change. I expect God to do what he does. Why? Because he's done it for me. And he's done it for you. And you know that he's able to do it still. And we want to step into this work and we expect him to be God and to change what we cannot change, to do what we cannot do. 
And so this isn't just, well, we're expecting people to be resistant. We're expecting the unfamiliar. I, I wanted to end on a positive. Okay, we're not just expecting persecution. We're not just expecting chastisement and difficult things. We're not just expecting the bummer of a life. Come on, who's on board? You know, it's like what we are expecting is through this process of working and developing and pushing forward the things of God, we expect God to be God. And we expect him to do the miraculous. There is nothing more powerful than seeing God take a life that is broken, crumbled, and just a shell of a human being and breathing life into them and making them alive. There is nothing more miraculous. Because tell you what, people, all healing is temporary. All healing is temporary. Someone gets healed of cancer, that's wonderful. But guess what? It's temporary they're still going to die. But when God takes a life that is dead and makes them alive, now it's eternal. And now it's miraculous. Because just as a person can't change their skin and a leopard can't change their spots, we are helpless, we are stuck, but God does the miraculous. And he makes us, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creations. All things are past. Behold, all things become new. And that's what we want to step into. We want God to do the miraculous. And so as we take this position of wanting to be a part of God's work, we need to be aware of God's going to do things different than maybe he's done them before. We're going to step into areas that maybe... We've never stepped before. We are looking at, I've shared this before, and it's still something that's in the, the works, is we still want to do a Sunday evening over at the Oasis nightclub. Maybe once a month. We'll see how things go. But I'd love to be able to do something there. You might say, wait a second, that's a gay and lesbian nightclub. Yeah. I want the voice of who Jesus is to be clear. And I want people to know that even though a leopard can't change its spots, God can make people new, a new creation. There is a hope that is beyond anything this world offers. And I want to step into those things. We're looking to to do something on 4th of July weekend. We're do, I, I was supposed to go to the city last week, but I got hijacked into New Orleans. That's a different story. Um, and want to go to the city and put up a, what we're calling a freedom board. And basically it's going to be like a giant chalkboard where people can just write what it means to be free to them. Anyone in the community. We just want to put this up and I just want to hear what people think freedom is. I want to get the pulse of our community, see who's there and what's going on and, and what, what their conversation is so that we can better dialogue with them. I, I want to engage in those things. That's why we're at the Foothill Family <laughs> Shelter. We're there to just be a part of the lives of these people. And we want to see God do the miraculous.
We want to see God change people. That's what we want to see. Because God does that. And only he can do that. And so, in conclusion, this is who we are. This is the DNA, so to speak, of Genesis. And God has, if he's brought you here to be a part of this community, then I want you to know where we are going, what we are headed for. And if you say, you know what, that's not my cup of tea, that's okay. Really it is. But if you say, I want to be a part of this, then we want to help you to be active in what's going on. And that's why we are doing the Strength Finders this Saturday so that you can see what your talents are, so that you can be encouraged in your talents And we want to give you room to utilize your talents and your gifts in this picture that God is doing. And so this isn't just some, you know, we're just going to go have a leadership class. No, this is, we want to empower you to be used in the areas that God has gifted you and has created you. Because each one of you are a disciple maker. Each one of you are an ambassador to Christ. Each one of you are to have a dynamic and living relationship with God that affects the world around you. And we want to do this in a way that is natural, in a way that is real, in a way that God can use to change the lives of the people around us. That's what we desire. And so I hope you'll join us and be a part of this work. I hope you'll, you'll push this work forward in ways more than I can, more way, in ways bigger than what I can imagine. God has given you dreams. God has given you creativity. God has given you visions just like he's given Peter, just like he gave Paul. He's giving us collective vision that will push this good news of who Jesus is further. Let's pray. Lord, you are so patient. You are so kind to give us direction and to invite us into the new work that you're doing. Lord, in that passage where you're you're speaking through Isaiah and you're telling them that you're doing a new work, you also tell them that they are still stuck in their sin. Lord, may we not be stuck. May we not be stuck in in the sin of tradition as well as in, in any immorality. May we not be stuck in a relationship with you that is not alive and moving forward. And God, as you have opened your heart to us, may we freely give what we have received. May we not make it difficult for people to come to know you. God, you did not make it difficult for us. You accepted us right where we are at. And you are speaking to us right where we are at. Lord, may we learn how to do that as well. And I do pray for 
this Saturday, the Strength Finder, Lord, I pray that it would light a fire within our souls and excite us about what you have given us and how what you've given us can be put to use. Lord, may this be an explosion in the community of Genesis as you unleash just person after person with their talents and their gifts to further the work that you want to do in our community. God, I entrust this work to you. May we expect resistance. May we expect the unfamiliar. And may we expect you to do the miraculous. May we not lose heart or grow faint in doing what you want us to do, doing what is right. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.